listening to another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friend. Welcome to the Beulah Girl podcast. I'm Carol Whitaker, your host. I'm so glad that you tuned in today. I am concluding this week a series I started about four weeks ago on motherhood, and I'm so I think surprised by this series myself, I've been just so encouraged during it. And I say surprised because God always surprises me. When I started the series, I really didn't know exactly what direction he was going to take me. And I had a few Bible verses in mind, but I really didn't know just the gems that I would find in digging into these scriptures. And just, I guess I was surprised at what God really had to say about moms. I thought I kind of knew what the Bible said about parenting based on a few verses I had read, but I got some fresh insights looking at the verses that I did in this series. And hopefully if you've been following along this whole time, you feel the same way. If you have not, you can check out the previous three episodes and I discuss basically everything from why you have value as a mom to how to train children or really what it means to be a parent according to the word of God as far as our job as parents and what that looks like. For this final episode, I want to kind of come full circle with the with the with the unit we've been going through. Um, I started by talking about, you know, why moms have value and really continue that idea in the second episode as well. But I want to end by talking about our children and how our children have value and how that as an idea can change just everything when it comes to our parenting. I'm going to explain that later in the podcast, but basically we're focusing today on the knowledge that can change us as parents, that can make us better parents. And I've just given you a hint as to what that is, but I'm going to be explaining that later So you know exactly where I'm coming from with that. But believing our children have value really does change everything when it comes to us being parents. And so not only is it important that we understand the value we have as moms, because that makes us do a better job because we believe in what we're doing. We're energized, we're motivated because we believe we have purpose. And the daily grind of what we do, if particularly if we're a stay-at-home mom and we're home with little kids all day, you know, it can be very monotonous. We can think, you know, what am I doing? Does anything I do matter? And yes, it does matter. And that can, that knowledge that we have so much value that God places on moms and the the role of mother, which the world has very much tried to snatch away in terms of the value mothers have, you know, whether we're a stay-at-home mom or working mom, we have value. Um, But the world has tried to snatch that away and say, you know, the only value we have as a woman is if we, um, if we match a man and we, you know, work in the business sphere. And again, some of us are called to do that. Some of us are called to work outside the home. I did with my first child before I became a stay at home mom. So we need to individually seek God about our calling, but very much the role of mom has been challenged. I think in the importance of a mom and you see, in today's society, not a lot of value placed on mothers. So it's important that we view ourselves as valuable, but it's also important that we view our children through the through the correct um, perspective as well, because this in turn will make us better moms, and this will make more sense as we go on. 
I've shared throughout this series some stories about my own children. And if you didn't catch last week, listen in because I detailed a pretty, I guess, normal snapshot of my day, which may surprise some of you, but I do have a crazy life. I have a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and almost 3-year-old. And, you know, it just seems like sometimes, even on my best days of trying to be a wonderful mom, that inevitably some kid does something and we have a disaster on our hands. I mean, it's it's like literally I'm dealing with small disasters literally every day popping up here and there. But my youngest daughter in particular right now is in a challenging stage because she's almost three. She will be three next week. And when she was first born, we would just marveled at her, you know, easygoing nature. We were so relieved because we weren't sure how we were going to handle having another child. And we already had two other, you know, children and all of their needs. And when she was born, she was literally just an easy baby, just so easygoing. And she slept through the night. We would put her in her crib and she would just lay down and go to sleep. I mean, she wouldn't really fuss that much. She didn't cry that much unless she really needed something that she was hungry or she wanted to be held or her diaper changed. But she could play quietly for extended periods of time just with toys on the floor while the rest of us were running around doing whatever. Even before she began to use words, now she can use small sentences, but before she could even use words, she was just so caring towards her brother and sister. One of them would be crying on the floor and she would go over and and put her hand on them and give them a little hug. And I mean, it's just the sweetest um, actions from our youngest. And we just thought, my goodness, you know, she is just the sweetest, most go with the flow little person ever. And we kind of just assumed that it was, it was going to continue to be like that. And then she turned two. this last year. Again, she's almost three, but this last year, you know, was the same as the others. She just kind of went with the flow, was content to do whatever. But as this year has progressed, we have seen a totally different side to her that we had not seen before. As we are nearing her birthday coming up, we've seen the terrible twos in, I think, more than we really expected to see from her and our once very well behaved you know easygoing child is now a child who when you know I'll take her outside to play in the cul-de-sac and play ball or blow some bubbles and she'll run away from me towards the street Um, whenever we have to go somewhere have to put her in her car seat she'll arch her back and scream so I cannot I literally am trying so hard to get her strapped in and I literally cannot get her strapped in, it's like a 15 minute struggle to get her in her car seat. If I tell her no, she will kick me and she'll claw my face and scream. And we're talking tantrums that last 20 or 30 minutes of straight ear piercing screams. When I have prepared a healthy meal, she walks over to the pantry and tries to help herself to granola bars and chips and snacks and Basically, it's a standoff where I have to redirect her back to the table and say, you know, this is what I fixed for you for your dinner. We're going to having chicken and peas and peaches here. We're not having potato chips or we're not having a granola bar or a cookie or ice cream for dinner. 
And so it's kind of a standoff and I have to kind of let dinner sit there for a while and then she'll sometimes just leave it or sometimes she'll come back to it when she gets hungry and she'll actually eat. But it's been kind of a standoff with dinner. Um, I get her dressed and she'll take her clothes off. She figured out how to take her clothes. So sometimes she'll just rip them off and she, if she doesn't like what she's wearing or she just feels like it. And another little trick that she started is locking herself in different rooms. So it used to be that upstairs we have a lot of different doors because we have four bedrooms and all of the bedrooms are kind of situated around this landing. And so when I take her upstairs, we have these little toys in this landing area. And so usually she would just sit there and play while I did laundry, while I made beds, you know, clean bathrooms or whatever. But now I bring her upstairs and she will run into a room that she knows she's not supposed to go in like her older sister's bedroom and she'll lock the door. And the other day I found her in there painting a picture. No joke. She had found some paints on the floor and she painted an entire picture before I even got in there. And she didn't get the paint on hardly anything else except the paper. It was really actually quite amazing. And the paint's washable. So it wasn't like tragic, but she actually got into paints and painted a picture before I got in there. I mean, that's what I'm dealing with. And so we discovered, okay, she loves painting. So I just went ahead and bought her her own little paints, but she knows she's not supposed to be in her sister's stuff and it makes her sister really upset. But this is just kind of the phase I'm going through right now and dealing with, I think, constantly saying, no, get down, don't do that. And these constant standoffs with a very strong-willed child throughout the day really wearing me down. And then that's not my only strong-willed child. I have two other children one of which is very strong-willed at the moment. And so I'm also having, you know, I also have two other children that I literally, by the end of the day, feel that I've just like a beanbag that's been beat up and I've got nothing left. And I'm kind of in this phase where I am a little bit discouraged as a mom that I'm worn down. I'm not my best. And I'm finding it difficult in this current season to really feel motivated to try my hardest as a mom. I mean, I'm literally in survival mode and I'm just kind of like on autopilot trying to get through from one tantrum to another. And I'm not really finding joy in what I'm doing. I'm not really, I think in some moments putting my best into it. And so, you know, this is kind of a season where I'm having a hard time focusing on the joys of motherhood rather than just the challenges. So how can I change my perspective and find joy once again in the mothering of my children and view my children the way I should? And perhaps if you're listening and you're just worn down and your children have just beat you down to the point that you aren't finding joy in what you're doing and you're feeling worn out and you're feeling so tired and you're just feeling like you're feeling even maybe that you're just focusing on the negative when it comes to having children. Psalm 127.3 tells us this, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. I want to just start off by saying that we can look here and see that the Psalm tells us that children are both a heritage and reward from God. And this idea of a reward I love what John Calvin says about this is that a reward can be understood as whatever benefits God bestows on men. 
But we get this idea right away in the psalm. And you can go on reading. The psalm is actually a pretty popular one because it talks about blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, full of children. You know, blessed is the person who has a lot of children. And, um, you know, people often quote this verse, but it's telling us here that children are a gift. And this idea can be a little challenging for um, some people to read because they may feel like, particularly if you're listening to this and you're wanting to be a mom and you haven't yet become a mom, or if you're listening to this and your journey to motherhood was one where you struggled with infertility and you may have questioned at times, you know, does God love me as much as other people? He seems to be blessing them more. This, this, um, I love how gotquestions.org resolves this idea of, you know, um, that it's talking about as, as far as children being a reward. And he says that this idea isn't to say that people who have children are blessed by God or people who do not have children are not blessed. What the passage does emphasize is that children should be viewed as a blessing and not a burden or a curse. Certainly in the Old Testament, we do see the idea that children are a sign of God's favor, but this again, wasn't always universally true. You know, some godly couples were not able to conceive right away. Some ungodly couples had children. So it it was not necessarily a principle that was true in every case. But what this passage is saying is that children are indeed a gift. And particularly if you're waiting to have another child and haven't been able to, or you're just waiting to have a child and want to, that that can be encouraging that the best thing to do in your situation is just to look to God and say, okay, what's going on here? And let him speak into your particular situation. I've heard of stories of people, you know, not being able to conceive initially. And then it's like they were able to, in God's perfect timing, a few years down the road, or they weren't able to conceive. And then it led them down, down the path of adoption or, you know, whatever the case Maybe. However, the idea I want to look at in this passage, as far as children being a blessing, one of the things that John Calvin also says is that this passage corrects views that many people hold that people, that children are born by chance or merely because of an instinct of nature. So many believe that once, you know, God put the universe in motion, he stepped back, he let his creation take its course. However, As we see in other places of scripture, such as Psalm 139, the Psalm tells us that God has a direct hand in creating children. So that's important for us to know that children are a blessing and God had a direct hand in creating them. And the reason that's important for us to know, it leads us to be a better parent. Here's why. And this, I'm borrowing this from Calvin because I found his commentary to be very helpful when I was reading this and When we know, one of the things he says is that when we know that our children are a gift and we have been given the honor of parenting them, we are encouraged not to be careless and reluctant when providing for them. In addition, as he says, I'm directly quoting him, this knowledge, the knowledge of how much value they have contributes to a very eminent degree to encourage them encourage parents, I'm sorry, in bringing up our offspring. In other words, what he says is that knowledge of our kids' value basically makes us do a better job providing for them, makes us do a better job in just bringing them up because 
we view them not just as these, you know, as these, you know, random chance, these human beings that came into our life by random chance that the universe was just put into motion that we procreated as a result of God giving us the idea, you know, ability to reproduce. But we have this idea that our children were designed and given to us on purpose with a purpose in mind. And even children that are born into situations that are less than ideal situations where maybe those children are a result of a, uh, a union outside of marriage or a rape or some other kind of union that is less than ideal. The concept still remains that God in his sovereign will still purposes the children that are here and and creates them whether or not they are made conceived in ideal circumstances within the boundaries of marriage like he intended or whether they're conceived outside of those that he still intends intended for those children to be here and he can work even within a situation that is not ideal and send he's still his sovereign will that he still fashions and forms and purposes the children that he sends. And so this idea gives us renewed energy and motivation as moms, as parents, not just in providing for our kids' physical needs or just kind of putting a check in the box as far as what we should do as parents, providing for their needs, sending them to school, making them, you know, dinner, that we also are vigilant in providing for the emotional and spiritual needs that we're teaching them the ways of God, that we're showing them the right way to go, that we're not just being indifferent or apathetic in our raising of them. We're not neglecting them, that we're really seizing each day and saying, okay, these kids are really a gift. God is, has honored me with their presence. He has given me, and they may not be acting like a gift right now. They may not be making my life wonderful at the moment because of their terrible behavior or the phase that they're going through, or maybe they're a teenager and they're just moody and they're driving everybody in the family crazy. But we can remember in those really tough moments that God had a per, you know, had a purpose in sending them and they're a gift. I read a devotional this week. Proverbs 31 is is literally one of my favorite ministries. I've mentioned them before, but they have daily devotionals that are free on their Proverbs 31 Ministries website. You can check it out. But one of their writers, I'm probably going to butcher her name, Alicia Bruxvert. Um, she wrote a post this week about how she, you know, she's a mom, I believe, of six, I want to say. And she wrote a post about how when her fourth one was born, obviously she was beyond exhaustion and she had, a. it sounded like multiple kids that weren't sleeping. And so one night when she was attempting to get her infant to go to sleep, she was up late and she was exhausted and she found comfort in the following verse from Hebrews 4.12. I'm reading in the Amplified, for the word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing and effective. She listed this verse in the Amplified. Now, I had always read this verse in the NIV and I want to just read it to you really quick in the NIV and I'm going to continue with the entire, she just lists part of 412, the first, I guess what you could call 412A. I'm going to read both 
parts A and B. For the word of God is alive and active. This is in the NIV. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So when I had read it in the NIV, because the first part in the NIV is so short, it just says, for the word of God is alive and active. I had never really taken a minute to pause and even look at that part of the verse. I'd always just skip right to the end. And I really just thought that verse was about how the word of God pierces us. It penetrates us. If you've ever had one of those moments where you felt convicted because the word of God, you know, maybe like you were holding on to unforgiveness and then you heard the pastor read this, this, um, Bible verse about forgiving and you immediately just felt the inside of you just, you felt this piercing, you knew what you had to do. You had to, you had to forgive the person. You had to act on it. But if we look at the beginning of the verse, I mean, yes, it is saying that the word of God does penetrate us. But if we look at the beginning of the verse, it also talks about not just this verse being a stern one about how the word of God pierces us, but it also speaks of how the word works within us in another way in that it, in the Amplified, it it says it really well in that the word of God energizes, affects, and exerts influence over us. And I was so blown away by her just listening that verse. And then she kind of explained how that helped her in that moment. And then she began to late at night, began to read different passages when she was worn out as a mom and that that began to really sustain her and her season. But what it really affected me when I read it is I thought to myself, oh my goodness, that is exactly, you know, the truth when it comes to what we're reading about with talking about with Psalm 127.3 is that this verse can indeed energize us as parents you know, when we're, we know that our children are heritage and a reward, then we treat them differently than if we simply think, oh, you know, those kids that we had that just came because we decided to, you know, get married and, you know, reproduce. And that's, that's what came of our union. Well, yes, but God sent our children to us. And when we realize that, that really can energize us in our parenting because we can approach it so much differently. And so I love how Alicia um, Ruxford, how she points out how the word of God can indeed energize us. And, you know, we can look at the goal of raising disciplined, godly children, and it can help us push ahead through one more day of tantrums, clawing fits, door locking incidents, whatever the case may be. And we can be better parents, as as John Calvin says, because of the knowledge we have in Scripture that is really encouraging us. And and truthfully, I've been talking about Psalm 27, but whatever season we find ourselves in as parents, that, you know, for me, this verse was very impactful to me in my current season because, you know, I'm still so much in the middle that I haven't been able to see really except for glimpses here and there, I haven't been able to see the fruits of all the hard work I've put into parenting because I'm still very much clawing my way through each day and addressing very challenging behavior on a daily basis and so forth. Um, But, you know, this was helpful for me in this season, but, you know, there have been other seasons that have been a little bit different where I've needed a different word and that's what the word of God provides. And, 
one of the things that Bruxford points out in her devotional is just this idea that we can get that sustenance through the word of God and that she did that as a parent, that she was up late at night and she would just open her Bible and read and, and let it wash over her. So Psalm 127 can do that, help us value our children, but you know, through whatever season of parenting we're in, that God doesn't leave us alone and that he speaks to us through his word and in, in various ways, he's very creative and he gives us just what we need to, you know, parent the way we should, to treat our kids the way we should. And that certainly was an encouragement to me and hope it is to you. Let's just go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for our children. Thank you for the incredible beings that you've put into our lives. Just like with anything else, though, we can take for granted what you've given to us. We can forget that our children are a gift. We can view them because they have sin natures. We can view them in a negative light at times. We can treat them less than they deserve. Lord, certainly they need discipline, but they need discipline out of love, not discipline because we're mad at them or because we've just had it with them, not discipline out of anger, not um, an apathy or an indifference to them because we're just tired of whatever we're dealing with, Lord, that we can look at what your word says, that we can use the knowledge in your word, that they are indeed a gift, and we can use that knowledge to change the way we view them, to remind ourselves each day when we're facing challenges that we have a really important job to do, and that, Lord, that our children have so much value, no matter how they're acting, and that someday the hard work we put into parenting will pay off, even if we aren't seeing it in the moment. So Lord, just uh, renew the people listening if they're tired, if they're worn out. And Lord, help us to continue to look to you and your word for continued sustenance on our journey of parenting. In Jesus' name, amen.